Hello, friend. Welcome back to another episode of the Curious Neuron Podcast. My name is Cindy Huffington, and I am your host. Today, we are talking about um, educational toys and educational apps. So I want to make sure that I know there's only, you know, you're either in your holidays right now or you're about to start the holidays, but I wanted to make sure that I ended the year with one of these, what are educational toys and apps sort of episodes so that you have a guide for whatever's left for you in terms of purchasing toys and apps, or maybe in the new year, you're going to need this sort of guide. I hope you're excited to hear today's podcast episode. I am I'm also on Instagram Live right now, so I'm trying something new. I want to first thank the Tannenbaum Open Science Institute for supporting the Curious Neuron podcast. And if you have a moment, please remember to rate the podcast and leave a rating, um, a review on iTunes or on Spotify. And you can listen to the Curious Neuron podcast either on iTunes or Spotify or even Amazon Music or Google Podcasts. So take the time to leave a rating and review because this matters to the next for the next season. If you do want to see another season of the Curious Neuron podcast, it really really, really is important for you to leave those ratings and review. If you don't follow us on Instagram yet, you can follow us at curious uh, underscore neuron. I try to post every day some information about parenting and some research that I found or sometimes just something about a conversation. Um, All right, so let's get to it. I'm so excited for today's episode. First, I want to say that any of the apps or the toys that I will mention are not sponsoring this podcast episode. I have taken the time to look at the toys that our children, that my children are using. I have three kids, ages three, five, and seven. I'm going to give you a guideline when it comes to toys, not I'll mention some companies that we've been using, but I'm not going to give you um, a list of exact toys that I want you to have in your home. I'm going to give you this guide. I will leave in the uh, show notes a link to the Curious Neuron website that has the toys that I do recommend, and I'm going to keep adding that. There are toys for children from newborns all the way up to age eight. There are board games if you're interested in board games as well. Um, so to do take the time to click that link if you are looking for something specific at the last minute. And I will be talking about apps. I'll talk about five points that I found from research that remind us what a true educational app is and what we need to look for in an app um, to make sure that it is high quality for our child. Because I think we do need to focus on that a lot more. Um, There's so much talk about like how much time kids are spending, whether it's too much, you know, sometimes shaming around children that are using apps or watching TV. And I want to move away from that. I want to move closer towards having having a guide, a science-based guide for parents in terms of choos- choosing toys and in terms of choosing apps. So let's get right into it. I first want to begin by talking about what educational or what play is before we get into the whole theme of educational play or educational toys. Um, I think that it's really important that we remind ourselves the importance of play, self-directed play or open-ended play um, when we just let a child be. And I, I fell into this in the sense that when I had my first child, I felt like I had to guide everything and ask her to name everything and point at everything. And it almost was a relief by the time I figured this out with my second and third, once I had time to sift through the, the, the research, that we really don't need to do that. And we fall into something in society where we just feel and then we feel like we need to do this. And then when we don't, 
Um, we have the guilt as parents. So there, there's a mix really, right? So you, you want to step back whenever you can because self-directed play, which is when a child is taking control of their play environment, that is truly when a young child um, begins to to develop more skills and, and that's what's important for their brain development. It's satisfying to a child to lead their own play. And you might notice if you're playing pretend with your kids um, that they're going to tell you what to do. Like, you know, uh, I don't know, this item is a banana and this item is a phone and no, don't put it there. It belongs here. Like they have it all orchestrated and planned in their minds. And the more we allow them to guide us, if something isn't a telephone and they're telling us it's a telephone, cool, let's go with the flow, man. (laughs) Let's let them tell us what it is. Don't guide it for them, but let them guide you. When you let them guide the play and it's self-directed that way they're building on their internal motivation because they're doing what feels satisfying it's rewarding to them they are also um building on curiosity and i'm working on a blog post for you that will be up on the website in the new year but it's all about the importance of curiosity and you would be blown away by how much research is out there on curiosity and how it's showing us the importance of curiosity when kids are young and how that helps them later on in school because they're going to be bored in school right like there it's going to happen I'm not saying, I'm not saying that school's boring but what I'm saying is that there are going to be moments that they might love math and during math they're super hyped about it and they're excited and they're loving it and they're motivated but they might not like English class or here in Montreal French class or they might not like science class or whatever it is in those moments of like feeling bored or not enjoying themselves, we have to hope that we built enough of those curiosity parts of their brain and then the skills and, 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 and we've instilled that in them so that they're like, wow, this is kind of boring, but I'm curious what I'm curious about, like really big numbers, or I'm curious about um, this animal that lives in the wild and, and I want to learn more about it. So we want them to have that skill and they develop that skill from infancy, they're doing their tummy time and they look up and they're like, Ooh, what's that item? Can I reach it? Can I put it in my mouth? Can I smash it on the floor? When they're crawling around, they are looking for spaces that will, um, for, they're looking for things that they're curious about. Ooh, what's that shiny item? Can I crawl to it? Can I grab it? Can I put it in my mouth? Can I throw it? Can I smash it? Can I sit on it? Um, they, this is curiosity. This is a child's natural instinct to curiosity and discovering with the world around them. So when it comes to play with very, very small kids, it's not about toys. And, and somewhere we've lost the idea of play for especially a newborn. When my brother-in-law had his baby, I told him, you don't need anything. You don't need to buy all these toys that they market for, for newborns. All your baby needs is you. They need to do tummy time. They could have a little mirror in front of them or something that's reflective. You know, maybe one black or white image or some image, whatever it is, something in front of them, because as they're doing tummy time, they're going to start lifting their head a little higher and higher. They're going to want to look around. So if you're around them and walking, you've given them that toy. You've given them something to explore and be curious about. How does that object? move which is you (laughs) where is it going oh does it come back oh what's what's that beside me is it a couch um 
you know, that's what they're looking for. They're curious. So as that baby begins to crawl, sure, you can have some items around them. I use some Kleenex boxes with my kids that I would stuff with this play scarf um, scarf inside and they would grab it and try to figure out how to get their hands into it. I had some empty um, bottles that I bought at Michael's and I put like some items so that it made noise when they shook it and it was sealed and closed and they couldn't open it. But then that one little item that I paid a dollar fifty that had jewels inside that made a really fun sound when they shook it as babies. As they got bigger, I removed the jewels and then put some baby safe items in there and they had to learn how to unscrew it. So that's a toy that literally grew with my children. And still today, by the way, at ages three, five and seven, I have those little jars from Michael's, those arts and crafts jars um, that they are using for pretend play. Now the jewels came back and I have like a container of jewels and they have a scoop and they scoop it into those jars and they close it and they pretend that they're selling the jewels. They're playing, you know, candy shop together. Those are items that we're not talking enough about. And those are items that are really um, worth it because our children are growing with it as they learn, as they develop. In very young children, to go back to that, as they start crawling around, make sure that you have enough places with or like around them that they could explore, enough things that they could be curious about. And once they're walking and crawling around, is there a space? Um, are they always coming to, to you in the kitchen? And is there a space in the kitchen that you can... Um, create as a safe space for them that they can open? Is there one drawer that you can say yes to, the others no, so that they can understand this one yes and this one no, but is there somewhere that you can, you know, build into like your child's safe space with some safe plates and dishes that they can grab on their own once they start walking? I did this with all three kids. So we don't like, we don't follow Montessori to the T, but what I pulled out from that was that independent aspect of just trying to allow them time to explore, time to be curious and spaces to to be independent. And when it was time to eat, I would ask them to, to get their plate. And it was in a space where they were able to do that. That's part of play and learning, by the way. So that's why I'm talking about all this. So all this to say um, that when it comes to play for very young kids, allow them to explore, focus on motor development things that allow them to place something inside, um, you know, those shapes, sh- those shape sorters. Um, but don't worry about all the bells and whistles, even even the the playmats or whatever they're called now, the, the ones that you lie on, their, the baby lies on their back and there's something hanging. It doesn't need to have flashing lights. It doesn't need to have sounds. Look for the one that just has something hanging that crinkles so that it's a reaction, right? So the child has to do something to it to get a sound out of it. And even if they squeeze it and it, I think ours would like peep like a bird or I don't know what, sing like a bird, but they had to squeeze it and find the place to squeeze it. It wasn't just about a bunch of sounds. It was only that sound. The rest had like reflective, the reflective like um, materials on it or was crunchy and like made interesting sounds. Um, that's all that mattered for a baby. If you are looking for um, a guideline when it comes to toys, first, there's a couple companies that I do like. Melissa and Doug, my kids have enjoyed their toys for so many years. There's a lot of pretend play items that are great. Um, go with the with whatever your child likes. You don't have to buy all of Melissa and Doug toys, but it is a company that I personally 
um, have purchased a lot and love and there's some good you know uh, durability my kids have smashed the toys they have like the little garage set um, some things you know we we overthink like there there was one where there are different colored cars that pile one on top of the other and I was like oh that's cool it has colors and there's numbers but that's when I find that we forget about play and kids don't really care when they're young but we try to push that on them perhaps a little bit too young and and they weren't really into it but they like the pretend the little garage set um, and and other p- pretend play items they have the wooden play items um, that destroyed my floors but that's a different <laughs> that's that's a different story Okay, so Melissa and Doug, I love learning resources. They have lots of great learning activity, uh, great learning toys, magnetic tiles. Um, we personally have Picasso. I'll I will put a link in the show notes to a YouTube video, or you can visit our YouTube video, our YouTube channel. Um, there's a review there that I left where I compared all three ma- magnetic tiles. But I like having a set of those and some sort of building blocks in in the home. Now here is, um, so actually I didn't, we have Grimm's wooden toys, that rainbow, colored rainbow and the colored, all that stuff that I saw online, I, I put that on their list. We have a really big family. So it was great because let's say for one summer, they would buy the rainbow and the building blocks and the entire family got together, pitched in on that. And the kids have been playing that for years and years, and it's really, really good quality. You don't need that in your home, but some sort of building block, I think, or building items um, are really important. Here is what, um, not the brands now, but just really items that you should have. So stepping back and looking at your your playroom. First, our books. Are there always at least one or two books in your child's play environment that they can go up to and grab and show interest in, perhaps look at look at it on their own or bring it to you and ask you to read it to them. Are there any sort of pretend play items? So this is for children 18 months and older. Are there items that they could pretend to play doctor or restaurant or grocery store? So I started my kids off. um, And again, this is not about the big kitchen. This is just really a few items. The first pretend play item that I bought for my daughter when she was um, 12 months at that point, I always try to introduce it a little bit earlier. um, But when she was 12 months, I bought the learning resources um, fruit basket. It came with a little bag. She absolutely loved putting the items in the bag, taking them out of the bag, putting it back in the bag. Um, but the bag itself is huge. Um, uh, I don't know if I've ever covered this, but you know, when ch- a child is developing, they're exploring their world and they're going to explore it very differently. You might want to add like a little blanket to their play space and they might put that on the floor and put their baby, uh, their little baby doll on it or their stuffed animal on it and cover them. That might be like some sort of enveloping phase where they like closing things in. Um, uh, having a bag or a box or some sort of uh, lunchbox or something that they could put items inside and take them out and zip it and snap it or whatever it is. Um, items that they can roll like a ball. Do you have at least one ball well you don't need more than one actually but do you have a ball in their environment that you can toss back and forth roll it on the floor or throw it um do you have building blocks could be legos it could be wooden blocks i started off with a small kit that i found for under 30 dollars when my daughter was young um, that i bought off of amazon i just looked at ratings it didn't matter what the brand was i just wanted some sort of building block because 
as they're building these towers with their blocks and you show them, you can start off with two, three blocks and only have that. You don't need to have the entire set of 150 blocks <laughs> in their environment or in front of them. If they are very young, you could minimize it and put a small basket with five blocks. And all you want as the goal is for them to build that tower with, you know, two, three, four blocks. It's going to fall. And that's where all the learning happens. They're going, to, they're going to get upset. They're going to be mad and frustrated. And as a parent, when we are helping our children in play, it's not really about telling them what to do when they're playing. It's about stepping in in those moments when you're like, oh, I see you're frustrated. You know, the block, the tower keeps falling and, and that's okay. Come, let's try to figure it out. And then you place it and then you let them do it and then it falls and you say, let's make the base larger. Or you say, let's tighten it up as we're going along. Just try to guide them in those moments of frustration rather than doing it for them. Same thing for a puzzle. I would recommend having one puzzle in their environment. Are they going towards it? Are they not? Are they struggling with it? Can you guide them? Don't do it for them, but guide them. Place, if it's like one of those wooden puzzles where you have to place it in the spot and you have to move it around until it fits in that hole or that spot, don't put it in there for them. You could place it just a little bit. You can move their hand. You can get it in there and say, yeah, you got it. But then take it out so that they're the ones who do it. Um, really guiding their play. That's that's all we're doing. We're like assisting. We're <laughs> they're, they're the masters and we're their assistant at this point. We're the sous chef. Um, and that's really what you want to do when you're helping them in play. So we mentioned the building blocks and pretend play items and some books. Do you have everyday items? Do you have a muffin tin? Do you have a, a bowl and a wooden spoon? Do you have perhaps um, uh, an ice tray that you could put in their play environment? Do you have a notepad and a marker or a pen or whatever, depending on your child's age, that you can place? Because if they have that pretend play item and they have the muffin tin and a notepad and a, a crayon, all of a sudden, their world has just expanded. Their play world has become much bigger because now they can play, they can take a note. And even if you're cooking, you're not playing with them, but you're saying, hey, I'd like to make an order for the grocery store. Can you write this down on your notepad? I would like um, a banana, an apple and, and some peaches. I need three peaches. And they're going to scribble on their notepad and get ready and set it up with their little bag. If the, the pretend play food items that you have don't come with a bag, I had also bought some paper bags um, at the dollar store so they would prepare a lunch. Um, so you can place your order for the restaurant or the grocery store or whatever you're pretending to play. And as you're preparing dinner, you're still playing with them, but they're doing things on their own. And if, especially if your child struggles with independent play, I really recommend that you try this out because that helped me learn, me learn how to step away from my kids and it helped my kids learn how to play a little bit longer on their own. Um, so everyday items, do you have some of like one of those in their play area? You don't have to have everything that I'm saying um, at the same time in their play area, but just being mindful of these different kinds of categories. And then do you have something for motor skills? Do you have little items that you place inside a Kleenex box? Or do you have something that's really like those shape sorters that you have to fit the shape inside? Something that's a motor skill because you want to continue practicing that in very young kids and, and until they're older as well. As they get older, I have some like I found at the dollar store, some poker chips. My kids were using that as play money. Um, but then I had made a hole in a little box and they had to place um, that that those poker chips inside the box. So it really allowed for lots of play. 
something about um you know motor skills do you have um um Uh, figurines, animal figurines, um, characters that they love from TV shows. There's a lot of play that goes on in that. And my kids will place them in different parts of the living room and, you know, create a, a game with them. Whether you have, if you have one child and they really struggle with play, again, this is something that you can take your little figurine with you if you have to um, do laundry and you could, or if you're cooking and just say, pretend the person or the figurine or animal is talking. This could be stuffed animals, anything that you can give a voice to. And those are also important because if there's something that has to do with emotion regulation skills or your child is really struggling with a big emotion, with, with any big emotion, then you can use those figurines to reenact a situation. If they pushed or bit somebody at daycare or were bitten or pushed by somebody, you can recreate that situation to learn how they feel or how that situation affected them. But you can also Um, reenact that situation to show them what would have been right versus wrong in a situation when somebody is taking their toy, your toy away from you and you're, you're, you're frustrated. You can reenact that with figurines. So I think those are really important. Again, figurines could be animals, people, um, characters from TV shows or stuffed animals. Another one that I personally really love are loose parts. This category helps my kids uh, make sure that it's safe. So I started loose parts after they were the age of three. When they were, no, actually when they were under the age of three, I found at Michael's, um, the art store uh, in the rock section, I believe, and like pebbles, there was a jar that had these, it looked like ice cubes, like really, really large ice cubes. And I used those as loose parts when my kids were very young. They were able to fit the ice cube in um, the pretend ice cube in Uh, the muffin tin, or I had some large ice trays, the silicone ones that that are like squares, cubes. So they were able to play with those as loose parts. They have no purpose, <laughs> no purpose whatsoever. And that is the point. That is where the educational aspect happens. That is an educational toy, by the way, because a child will have to create something and, and envision something and imagine something. And that's where all the learning is. So some type of loose part. It could be if they're older, buttons. I have buttons for my kids. I have a huge container of jewels that I collected from the dollar store, different kinds of jewels. Again, my kids are three and older, so there's this is safe for them. They they sort them out. They become, uh, they create a candy shop. Um, there's just so much that they can do. Um, a company actually that I forgot to mention is edX Education. edX Education is another one that has some really fun Um, building toys and some really fun educational toys, open-ended toys. There's no purpose. There's like one that has some pegs and my kids still play with it today. There's one that has these rainbow pebbles. Oh gosh, my kids love them. There's these, these flat pebbles of different sizes and you can use the mats that come with it and cover, let's say the rabbit and, and one certain shape of a pebble is an ear and the other one is its belly. But my kids never played with it that way. They just used it as, as loose parts. So So edX Education is another company that I personally love. One last thing that you might not have thought about for your child's play space is a, mag a magnetic whiteboard. This has been a game changer for us. Having a magnetic whiteboard and then some, um, I have Melissa and Doug magnets. I have the Mickey Mouse ones and I have the farm ones. I used that when my kids were 12 months old. They would write on the whiteboard. And if you're no tea listening to this, I know you just 
you know, said yes out loud because of that elevated um, way of drawing and working. You're building muscles, or if you're a physio, actually also a PT for a pediatric PT. I know that I've learned from the people that I've interacted with PTs and OTs, how important it is to have vertical play. And that is why having a magnetic whiteboard, I first had it attached to the wall, but then I just kind of carried around. It falls. So I'd rather, I just don't have a good space to put it up on the wall. Um, But now that my kids are older, it's okay if it's not attached, but I, I did prefer having it stuck to the wall, obviously, when they were younger, but it allowed them to draw when they were really young. It allowed them to place the magnets on the whiteboard and it created so much op- so many opportunities for conversation, which is important when they're young. So they would place, let's say, the cow on the magnetic whiteboard and I would say, oh, that's a cow. And the cow says, moo, and then they would place a sheep. And I would say, that's a sheep. The sheep says, bah. And I would just continue saying, I'm not trying to force them to say it, but I would say it. And then after a couple of weeks of saying that, I would say, when they would place the sheep, what does the sheep say? Or what does the cow say? What sound does it make? And they would um, make the sounds. And then slowly as they reached, you know, 18 months to 24 months, they would start saying the words cow and they would point to it. And I would put a couple items like a, a horse, a cow and a sheep. And I would say, where's the cow? And they would point to it. Or I would point to one and say, what is this? And then they would say it. So that magnetic whiteboard, when it comes to language development, just blew my mind how easy it made it um, to to integrate within my child's play environment. All right, that was everything I needed to say about toys. <laughs> I don't know if that was too much. Do we need a, like a break, a coffee break or a water break? <laughs> um, let's take a breath. And as you settle in, and if you didn't take notes, you can pause it at this point, go back and take some notes. If you don't um, have a Curious Neuron notepad, <laughs> I don't have one anywhere that you can buy, but maybe I should. (laughs) Um, I do want to remind you that at curiousneuron.com, there is a space at the top of the website um, called, it's called workshops. And if you click on workshops, you will have access to the Curious Neuron Academy. I have some PDFs if you're just looking for something simple, which by the way, the Meltdown Mountain PDF um, is available for anybody to purchase. However, if you do rate and review the podcast on iTunes, I so deeply appreciate it that I will send you this PDF for free. So email me at info at curiousneuron.com. And also there is a course called, uh, where is it? Play and Brain Development. It is more than a course. It is a mix of workshops and PDFs that you could print out. It has activities, so you don't have to think about it. It uses everyday items so that you, like, it has a scavenger hunt where you take either socks or you take animal figurines or stuffed animals. So if you have a newborn baby and you're feeding your baby and you don't know what to do with your two-year-old or three-year-old, you can create this sort of scavenger hunt. It is up on the website and I'll put the link in the show notes as well. All right, let's talk about apps. I think it's really important to talk about apps because as much as we want to talk about toys, apps are becoming more and more popular for kids. And I don't want to shame anybody using them. And I don't want you to shame anybody using them. I want us to learn more about them so that we can make informed decisions. Um, There are a few apps that we use in our home Obviously, we use Wondergrade <laughs> because it's my app. <laughs> um, Wondergrade is an app. Uh, I'm going to start with that one because I 
um, specialize in emotion regulation skills, as you know, um, which is knowing how to cope with or manage your emotions, both internally and externally. There are apps out there that I don't want to name, but you know, they help with like meditation and mindset and mindfulness. Those are great for kids, but there's so much more that's, that, that is such a small piece of the pie when it comes to emotion regulation skills. Wondergrade offers your child activities that they can do. There is a parent center so that you can start learning about your emotions. And in the, if you're part of the newsletter, if you go to uh, wondergrade.com, uh, I try to write, and Christy and I, we write about situations that happen to us, and we try to show you where the learning happens with their children and, and what we integrate from science and include to help our children develop their emotion regulation skills. More importantly, there's a two-week trial for the Wondergrade app, and in the next couple of weeks, by mid-February, so let's say next couple of months, there will be a new part to this app that will blow your mind away. We've been working on it for a long time now, and we're so excited to share this with you. Christy and I have been working really hard, um, and it's going to become that app that you can just, something happens with your child, any emotion, you take the app out, you open it, and as a parent, you're going to have a resource that you can use, and then you could um, help your child in that moment. Because sometimes, whether a child is frustrated or envious of a, a friend who got a toy, or, or mad or sad, we don't know what to say to them, but we want you to be able to feel confident that you are saying all the right things, it's all based on research, and that you're giving your child the right tools. So that's my that's that's what I have to say about Wondergrade. If you do need help and assistance with teaching your child about emotions, I I obviously I'm I'm biased because I've I'm building it with Christy, my 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 partner. Um, but it's an amazing app. It's it truly is. Okay. What I look for in apps is um, something that allows my child to be independent. The same thing that I'm looking for in terms of a toy. I don't want the toy to entertain my child. I don't want them to press buttons and to be entertained by the toy. We will have some people give us some of these toys and I'm not against it completely, but that's not really what my kids will go to anyways. And that's not what I try to put into their environment. I want them to play with the toy. We're going to use that same theme or model or, or mantra, I don't know, um, and apply that to apps, open-ended apps. The first app that I ever had for my kids was PocPoc. I don't know if you've ever heard me talk about it. I, I, I ended up working with them, collaborating with them. PocPoc is an open-ended app that I absolutely love. It is still one of their favorite apps. It is still one that my three-year-old or seven-year-old will go to because it's open-ended. So think about that, the fun behind pretend play. And sometimes my kids are playing restaurant or whatever it is. On the app, there are different toys and they come up with new toys. And right now there's like the winter wonderland theme to it. So they're like exploring the forest. And when they click on a certain animal in the forest, it makes a sound and it moves a certain way. So it's good. And I recommend it for younger kids because there aren't many flashing lights. There aren't, there isn't that overstimulation of good job and the ding and a, you did well and great job. It's that's too much. And you're going to see why in a second, because I'll share the research with you. But it just allows a child to be curious and explore. And my kids, and there's even one where you start building like a, a um, probably not going to use the right term because I'm not a, in music, but uh, you you build like different, uh, not tunes, but like rhythms. And then there's like a drum. I don't know why I just said that. And then you add like a, a symbol to it and a little ding, ding. 
and then with the same rhythm that's going and then you add the two rhythm. My kids love, love playing with that. And then there's another one where it's a house. The toys is a house and and you go into it and you could take the pie that's on the counter or in the fridge and place it in the oven and you cook it and then you take it out and it shows that it's baked or you can take some uh, uh, tomatoes and you place it inside the oven and it comes back and out and it's pasta, <laughs> tomato pasta. And then if you place it back inside, it burns and the kids laugh and they giggle and they think it's so funny and then they go back to it and then they take the pie and leave the house and they're like, they're like dragging it on the app and they go toss it into the water fountain outside. <laughs> and they think it's hilarious. They can play with this app forever. They just love it so much. So Pock Pock is my favorite app for my kids, besides Wondergrade. <laughs> but it's it's Wondergrade is a different category. It's emotions and teaching our kids those skills that'll help them. Pock Pock is fun, it's playful, and it's open-ended. And that's what I love about it. Another open-ended one that I love and that my kids like to play with is Sego Mini School. Sego Mini School is another one of those open-ended open-ended apps, which sometimes as parents we don't get, but we forget we're not the masters of play. They are. So they are moving around and then certain things are being named or they're asked a question and they're learning as they go or they have to place something in a certain spot. My kids love playing this app and they have a good time. And I know that they're learning and I know that they're allowed to be curious and I know that they're allowed to like discover things and explore the app, which is exactly what I want in an app. Another app that I use that is free, this was the second app that I ever downloaded, was Khan Academy Kids. It's free. It's very high quality. Kids listen to stories. There are songs. My kids learn the songs. And especially with my three-year-old, this is another app that I love. Um, these are all the apps that I'm going to mention. They're the apps that we're currently using. I know that there are tons more and I want to take this new year. You're going to see a bit of a shift actually in Curious Neuron. Um, and this new year, I'm going to take the time to review lots of TV shows, review lots of apps and review more toys through YouTube videos that I'm going to create because I want you to see a toy, not just as a toy in terms of like playing, but what is my child learning? What skills, what cognitive skills are they learning? And I think that as a background, having a background in neuroscience and cognition and emotions, I really want to help you say, okay, this TV show is great because it's going to teach my child ABC. And this app is fantastic because it's allowing my kid to do XYZ, whatever it is. I want to give you those resources. So stay tuned in the new year. That's what I'm creating over the holidays. All right, so self-directed play we spoke about before, same thing applies for apps. The more time that a child spends in unstructured play activities, whether it's with their toys or with their apps, it's helping them direct or or, or self um, or build, sorry, executive functions. Executive functions are something that we need as adults, as children, but it's basically when it's nighttime, does your child remember the routine? Now, I had a conversation with somebody. I gave a workshop at a Montreal school. Um, by the way, I do give workshops and talk about all this in schools. I give it on, on Zoom. You can email me at info at um, But what was interesting is that there was a daycare educator that came to me and said, my four-year-old cannot, um, you know, remember the nighttime routine or the morning routine. And I said, they're, they're not supposed to. <laughs> they're young. So I would expect a five-ish year old to remember one, maybe two steps in terms of go get your lunchbox and place it on the step at the front door. Those are two steps. 
I would love for them to follow that. If they can, great. As they get older, then you're expecting them to remember three, four rules. So by, by the time they're eight or nine, four rules would be, you know, um, I don't know, we have soccer, so go get your bag, place it at the front, go get your lunchbox, place it uh, with your school bag, you know, something like that. Four different rules and, and, and instructions that they should be able to follow. That is executive functioning skills. And executive function skills are also important when they start school because if they have a project, then you want them to rem- to know how to learn, um, how to organize the project, how to plan it out. What do I do first? Do I do my research? What should I research? What do I look for in, in Google or search or whatever it is? That Those are executive function skills, remembering what they have to look for, remembering what they read about. Um, there's it's, it's a really big cognitive skill that's important. And even some adults, we need to work on that as well. So open-ended and less structured activities are the kinds of activities that will support this kind of learning. Here is what I found in research. I went through some studies that looked at apps. First of all, I learned that most apps um, don't really fall within the educational category. They might say so, but they don't. Um, So we do have to be um, careful. Educational, by definition, according to the um, an article in pediatrics, is is a toy or something that will allow a child to interact with somebody else, or their caregiver, a lot more. So having those conversations, that's what's going to allow a child to understand how to plan and how to organize and build language skills. So. I know that we don't often think about that, but we do have to think about how we're interacting. I know that at the beginning of this episode, I also told you to step back, but there's also times when we step in, right? So when we have those conversations with their kids when they're playing. There were also five very important points. And then after that, I'm going to let you go. This episode was much longer than I thought, but I hope you got a lot of value from it. There were five points in research that they said we needed to look for when looking for an educational app. Clarity and simplicity are the goal. Now, sometimes it's open-ended. So as long as that's clear and they're having fun doing that, sometimes open-ended might not be done properly and they're not sure what they have to do and they get bored. Um, But as long as it's intriguing and that the clarity of the goal is there. So are they simple enough for your child to follow? You know, what type of prompts do they have? Does your child have to read? And then they're not at that level yet. So it has to be developmentally appropriate. The quality of feedback and rewards are so important. Are you hearing a lot of dings or great job? Um, while your child is doing that? Is it like every three seconds, every time they click something? That is an app that might be just a little bit too much when it comes to reward. And it might not be the right app for your child, especially if you're struggling with like getting them to feel motivated internally to do something. You might want to step away from those external motivations, um, which are the dings and the great job. You might want to look more for an app that has um, rewards in the sense of, oh, great, you achieved X amount of points or stars. Here is uh, a special power that your character has, or you made it to the next level. Great. That doesn't give you the dings and the great job throughout, and it's not overstimulating for that as- from that perspective. And it's a better app, according to research. Structure of the challenge. Are they scaffolding, right? I've spoken about scaffolding before where if a goal or something is struggle is, is difficult for your child, that doesn't mean you have to avoid it. But is it creating enough baby steps or small steps to allow your child to get to the bigger goal that is developmentally appropriate? Or is your child struggling and always coming to you and saying, hey, can you do this for me? Because I don't know how. If they're doing that, the app is maybe a little bit too advanced and we need to take it back a step somewhere with a different app. 
I think I said five tips, but I meant four. So the last one is if it's allowing for some sort of interaction with another person, is it, are you taking turns or are you able to interact with your child um, with this part of the app and, and say like, okay, my turn, you got this many points and now it's my turn. Just taking turns. Again, not all apps, they don't all have to be like that, but just being aware of these keys that I found through some studies, again, all of that will be part of in the show notes. Um, but these studies really highlight that we need to think about these things and not just purchase any app when it comes to, um, you know, giving this to our children and they don't have to have a bunch of them. You know, you could focus on one of them. You don't want it to be overwhelming and being mindful of how much time they're spending. But, you know, again, if it's a good quality app, like the apps I mentioned before that are open-ended, then it's great for the kids. Um, in this, there's a 2018 study that I wanted to mention because it said that over 95% of apps for kids have advertising that uses manipulative and disruptive methods. So another tip is making sure that your kid or your child is not getting bombarded by um, ads through this app. And if it does, then it, it's not really a good app for your child. It shouldn't be... Um, what this article was saying is that it's interrupting the learning. So if it's truly an educational app, they shouldn't be stopped at certain points to... Um, to, to, you know, purchase something or to, to be sold another item or another, you know, app. So that's really important for us to think about. That is it for today's episode. So let us not, you know, I, I know that we're really worried about screen time and apps. We need to find ways to cut the time if, if it is too much in our home. Remember, a child under two should not be using apps. So if an app is targeting a child under two, they're not following research and, and a child under two does not need an app. A child under two could FaceTime with a family member to have conversations, um, could watch a video, a home video of themselves if you need that moment to step away, um, but really giving them the opportunities to be bored. Let's not forget the importance of boredom in all of this. Boredom allows a child to say, I, what do I do with myself? What do I play with? What kind of world can I create in this moment? And if your child needs extra guidance, that's okay. But but don't um, fill the moments of boredom or don't try, try to avoid entertaining them when they're bored because they won't develop that skill and it's going to get harder and harder as we, we go along. So allowing moments of boredom. Not being afraid to use apps after your child is too, you know, uh, to to help you know them learn. That's okay, but it doesn't have to be filled with dings and good job. And you, you don't. It doesn't have to have like alphabets and numbers. I think we're so hung up on that. That's going to be important at some point. But let your child play, and let's bring in a lot more. Um, less structured play and open-ended play where a child explores. Let's not forget the importance of that, especially for kids under four. Um, that's what learning is, that curiosity and that open-endedness. And I think that we don't see the importance of that enough. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I have one more episode coming out um, this week on Thursday. That will be the last time that I do two episodes or that I put out two episodes per week. I did that to test it out to, to see like if it was working um, because I just needed to, to see if it would work with different ratings and if you enjoyed the solo episodes. So do send, do take a moment to email me. Let me know what you enjoyed. These solo episodes, do you like the, the interviews? Do you prefer conversations with parents? I'm going to try to keep a mix of those, but I'll come back to just posting on Mondays when it comes to the new year. I will see you on Thursday. I hope you have a lovely Monday and a lovely week. Um, see you next time. Bye.